Hey, agency owners, it's time for a new episode of the Agency Blueprint, the number one podcast for agency owners looking to discover strategies for scaling an agency to seven figures and beyond, while reducing stress and getting your personal life back. I'm your host, Robert Patton, international bestselling author, agency scale partner, and founder of Creative Agency Success. Before we get started today, I'd like to invite you to join our free Facebook group, The Creative Agency Clique. We live stream weekly trainings on tactics that will help you simplify and scale your agency. Go to creativeagencysuccess.com forward slash FP to join. And now for the show. Hey, agency owners, we have an awesome guest on the show today. You'll probably recognize his name as the founder of Moz. But now Rand Fishkin is the founder and CEO of an audience research software startup, SparkToro. He's dedicated his professional life to helping people do better marketing through his writing, videos, speaking, and his book, Lost and Founder. When Rand's not working, he's usually cooking a fancy meal for the love of his life, author Geraldine DeRuder. If you bribe him with great pasta and fancy cocktails, he'll probably pull back the curtain on Big Tech's Dark Secrets. Thank you so much for joining us today, Rand. Yeah, thanks for having me, Robert. So before we got into recording, we were talking a little bit about, you know, what SparkToro is about and how it fully functions. And I thought it was super interesting. And, you know, when coming to building an ideal avatar for an agency and making sure that you really have an understanding of who it is that you're targeting and being very precise about who you are going to be speaking with and, you know, not having the amount of research that you need to really guide that decision making of how do you target them? What are they thinking? What's going on in in their day-to-day lives? So would love to hear a little bit about what you have found and what you believe agency owners should be researching when they're thinking about their ideal client and what sort of things are not really thinking about enough and clearly enough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that there's kind of two sides to the research that a lot of agency owners that, that I talk to have. One is researching their clients and potential clients for sort of whether it's a good match for them, right? Can they provide services to them and are they likely to be good clients over time? And the second one is investigating the audiences and customers of their clients, right? So looking at, okay, hey, we're th- you know we're going to be whatever, working with this product packaging manufacturer and design firm in Italy. And, you know, they want us to do all these, these marketing things on the B2B side of stuff for them. We don't know anything about the world of packaging design like that. You know, that's a completely foreign universe to us. And and this happens Mm -hmm. all the time, right? When you're a consultant or an agency, your job is essentially take all of the knowledge and skills that you have from sector A and apply it to sectors B through Z. But Of course, each time you've got to go and learn a whole bunch about those sectors and about those customers. I think one of the biggest problems that we saw, my co-founder and I, Casey and I, saw was just essentially that a lot of that research work, whether it was figuring out your own customers and your own audience or your clients' customers and audience, was extremely manual. It was very frustrating and hard to do, meaning, you know, both very time consuming and very technically challenging. You know, if you wanted to gather data about large amounts of online information, you had to like, okay, well, we need a software engineer who knows how to build a web crawler to extract this kind of data. And okay, and they're going to have to work with these APIs and then they got to connect up all the APIs and all the data and da, 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 da. And then there was kind of the, the survey side of research, right? The market research side of things. I love interviews. I love surveys. I think that data is super useful. I think everyone should do it, but it has painful limitations when it comes to asking people questions like, hey, Robert, what podcast do you listen to? 
and you'll probably, you know, you've got a few, like you'll name some, mm-hmm. but if you, if you interview and survey people and you ask them about their, the podcast they listen to, or the YouTube channels they subscribe to, or who they follow on Twitter, you're going to get mediocre, inaccurate, incomplete responses that are usually biased to just a few of the most popular or well-known at the moment ones. Tends not to be exhaustive, tends not to be very st- statistically significant. And my God, is it a pain in the ass way to do it, right? So so basically, like the, you know, the contention that we had was the absolute best thing you could possibly do in, in, the, in the like most ideal world for uh, a researcher who's, who's trying to learn more about an audience is get their home addresses, right? You get all of your customers, potential customers' home addresses. Then you break into their houses at night and you steal their cell phone. And you, you get the <laughs> unlock code for the cell phone and then you, you go in and you record everything that they, they've done, right? Like all the websites in their bookmarks, all the things that they follow on all their social accounts, all the podcasts that are in their library and that they subscribe to, all their YouTube channel subscriptions, go to their email, check out their email newsletters that they subscribe to. Great. Then you do that, you know, a thousand times with a sample set of your audience and boom, you have perfect data. Like now you know, okay, 16.8% of packaging design professionals in Europe go to this conference and 12.8% follow this newsletter. Now, you, you might have noticed two challenges here. One, this is highly unethical. And two... It is super freaking illegal. Yeah, right? like, I, I don't. I don't know about actually recommending breaking into people's homes for sure. Not something that I, I would suggest. But this is the. I have great news. This is not how SparkToro collects its data. <laughs> good, good. Um, You've calmed my nerves. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Everybody was like, "Oh man, where he's where is he going with this?" I don't. I don't think he should be telling people publicly how he gets his data. So, so instead, the the next best thing that we saw uh, companies doing is that that they would, they would, they would hire or, or recruit, you know, a software engineering team, a couple of coders to build a bot that would essentially crawl all of the public social and web information on an audience. So, it'd be, you know, usually a big agency or a big company would go and say, okay, I want you to crawl everyone whose LinkedIn or Twitter bio includes the words VP of packaging design and their location is any of these EU countries. And then they'd go and they'd crawl all of those and they'd extract out like, okay, here's their last like 50 tweets and here's their LinkedIn posts and here's the hashtags that they used and here's what they were following. And, you know, you, you got to go through all this rigmarole and, and you got to connect up the profiles across. But Casey and I mm-hmm. were like, oh, what a pain in the butt. Like, this is like, literally people are spending like a quarter million dollars on both the, the API and software side of it and the engineers to do it just to get one, one query worth of data. And so we were like, hey, could we just build this for the whole internet? Like, what if we just crawled all the social profiles that we could possibly find out there, connected them all up together, anonymized and aggregated them, just like Google does with websites, right? Google crawls all these websites, they make all that data available to all of us for free for searching. So SparkToro does essentially that. So now you can go and you can say, I want to know what anyone who's used the hashtag packaging design in the last quarter has done online. I want to know their demographics. I want to know their the podcasts they listen to and the websites they visit and the social accounts they follow. SparkToro is super simple. There's no like machine learning or AI or I don't know, crypto, <laughs> anything, no blockchain. It's or, just or breaking into people's homes. <laughs> no, no breaking into people's <laughs> homes. Just crawling publicly available, right? So all the accounts that we crawl are public. We don't 
-hmm. There's no like private. If anyone has their settings set to private on any network, we can't see it. Yep. We only see the mm -hmm. same things Google can see and can show you. But yep. then you can say, you know, 17.2% of packaging design professionals in Europe follow this person. That's who we should get on our next webinar, you know, or they read this website's newsletter. Okay, well, let's go sponsor that newsletter. And that's essentially what SparkTor helps with. So a lot of marketing agencies use us both to understand and vet their customers, like you said, and also to help their customers with their own marketing strategy and tactical, like I'm going to target this audience in Facebook. I'm going to plug in this YouTube channel to my Google ads, that kind of thing. I mean, you hit on a, quite a few things that I think were like incredibly impactful. First, I mean, I definitely, I'm going to talk with my marketing director after this call about SparkTor on how we can be leveraging it and using it because super neat, super interesting and really useful information yeah. for sure. I mean, if 2016 taught me anything was that polling data and research data is massively flawed, right? So it's making I mean, sure it can the, the be, there's still lots of useful information. It just can be very yeah, difficult totally. and like how you use it appropriately. But I totally interrupted you. What were you going to say? No, no. I mean, you, you are correct. I think, yeah, the weird thing about polling data is when it's off 2%, it's extremely meaningful, right? Especially in narrow election situations. So when they're like, oh, plus or minus 2%, and then you go in thinking you've got a, a sure thing. Yeah, I I think this is, this is the fundamental challenge with, you know, survey design and audience research and market research is just that if you structure questions correctly, get your audience perfectly nailed down, get a big enough sample size, control for all the variables, you can build some really impressive, awesome things. I have struggled with that. I think a ton of marketing agencies and market mm -hmm. research firms struggle with that. And so this, you know, this, this idealized world of like, could we just get all the public social data and then not have to worry about asking someone, hey, what do you pay attention to? But actually just look at what they publicly follow. And that data tends to be quite good. I mean, it, it can guide so many things of what it is that you're deciding, right? I mean, I talk with my clients on a fairly regular basis. And it's like, hey, what types of content are you going to be putting out valuable content to your ideal client? And then even going through and trying to ideate about, you know, what types of content, where are their eyes right now? And you no longer with what this tool is going to do and what it's doing is that you don't have to ideate on it anymore. You can actually just go look and see what people are actually sharing publicly and know exactly where they are. So... You don't have to spend the hours sometimes of trying to figure out where you should actually be, you know, who you should be talking to and why you should be talking to them and where their yeah. eyes already are. Why fight the mold and just actually go where people's eyes already are, which is ultimately the best sort of marketing tactic you can follow and implore. You know, I loved when I, in my early days at Moz, right, when we were trying to like build up the SEO field and make people think, you know, make people believe that SEO is a real marketing practice and not just spam. One of the things that I, I'm sure you remember those days, right? When people were like, SEO, mm -hmm. that's just a spam tactic. But yeah, I mean, one of the big things that I always loved about SEO and just search marketing in general was this person on the, on the other end of the keyboard has just performed a search that said, I want this thing that you do and I want it right now. And that's a really awesome expression of intent. And I, I think that search marketing can still be very powerful. I'm not trying to cast stones at it, but I would also say that it is not the way that everyone does everything. In fact, I, I think it's a, a very small portion of how commerce and trade and 
you know, activities like learning about a sector or getting continuing ed or participating in conversations or even choosing to make a purchase decision. It, it is not the end all be all of how that stuff happens. A ton of how that happens is, you know, I've done some searches around a sector. I did a bunch of searches like best hotels in Italy to stay at and yada, yada. And then I visited a bunch of those websites and I found a couple of newsletters I wanted to subscribe to. I found a few people on Instagram that I wanted to follow around this topic. I, I found some useful content marketing from some websites that I trust. And now I'm paying attention to those. And in fact, even the websites that I click on in Google are probably the ones that I have heard of or they mm -hmm. see, you know, they seem trustworthy to me. I'm like, oh yeah, travel and leisure. I, I know them. I kind of, I like their stuff. Okay. The Telegraph, like I really dislike their, their news content, but I actually think their travel section is pretty good. So I'm going to click on that or mm -hmm. I, Expedia. Eh, they're just going to try and sell me hotels. I'm not going to click on them, but you know, like we all have these types of behaviors and, of course. and we build up these sources in our mind that we pay attention to. Like when I'm looking for restaurants, I, I mostly go to Eater because I trust the reviewers there and they, they have generally had, you know, good stuff in the past. And I usually don't look at the TripAdvisor ratings because I just haven't found them, right? Like for me, some people maybe love TripAdvisor, but, but that kind of data, right? That this is a source that I know, that I trust, that I've liked their stuff in the past and I listen to them or subscribe to them or follow them. And so when they give me a recommendation, that source that I already know, like, and trust, the purchase behavior then goes way, way up. And I think one of the problems is oftentimes what happens is, you know, whoever it is, Eater recommends something to me or Travel and Leisure recommends something to me or, you know, B2B podcast that I like recommends something to me. And then I go to Google and I search for the thing. Like a brand was recommended. Mm -hmm. I go to Google and I search for that thing and then I click on it and then I make the purchase. And what yep. happens for the poor marketer on the other side of the equation, they're like, oh, Google, Google sends us all our good traffic. We should do more <laughs> SEO. Yeah. I mean, I also think it's really important to distinguish too, right? Because in order for someone to be searching for you, they have to both be problem and solution aware. And if they're not, how do you even get in front of someone that isn't? If you have to educate them around the solution and their problem, you have to be able to get in front of them through another medium. So, and that happens a lot, you know, for branding agencies, they don't know that necessarily branding is the solution to their problem. Some people do, but some people don't, right? So making sure that they understand what's actually going on and how you can actually help solve the problem with the way that your, your, your solution and your service actually ends up providing the, the end outcome that they're looking for. So yeah, I mean, Google and SEO and all of that is definitely powerful tools, but for a certain type of buyer. Yeah, I, this, I, I think that one of the problems that I had, probably a lot of people have this in, in the marketing universe and, and, and beyond, which is that, you know, when I was 24 years old, 23 years old, right. And I started getting into SEO and doing it hardcore. Like I was given this, this hammer, right. And the hammer said rank for keywords that people search for. And I just took this hammer to every problem for the next 17 years, right? That was like my, I had my one hammer and every nail was going to get my SEO hammer. And I think it, you know, it took a long time and a lot of experiences before I came to the conclusion that there might be other tools in the tool, tool shed and things that were not nails that needed to be hit and you know, a thoughtful marketer should, should basically be applying the right tactics to the problem that their client faces 
as opposed to, hey, I know how to whatever it is, you know, do email mm -hmm. marketing or do SEO or do P PC or do display advertising or make whatever Instagram content, or I know how to dance with my pecs out on TikTok. <laughs> and this, oh man, someone's going to make a gif of that. And it's just going <laughs> to not, not go well for my, for my social presence in the years ahead. But I think that, that very smart, experienced marketers know that for each different problem space, each different kind of audience, each different kind of client, and the problem you're trying to solve, there's different applications, right? So a brand marketer might say, hey, look, if raw website traffic is what you're looking for, brand marketing is not necessarily the best and fastest and easiest way to go about that. But if your challenge is when people think of this problem, they think of your competitor as the solution instead of you, now brand marketing becomes a very powerful tool, right? Mm -hmm. You you mm -hmm. definitely want to pull out the socket wrench of brand marketing and apply it to that problem. And yep. we're we're similar, right? SparkToro is essentially, hey, if you know that your audience is most likely to take action when their sources of existing influence recommend and 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 help build the brand for and build awareness for, you know, the problem that you solve and your solution to it. Well, then SparkToro is going to do a really good job for you, right? You're, you're going to perform a few searches and you're going to be like, ding, ding, ding. Here's the, you know, I'm going to build a little list of the publications where I'm going to, you know, advertise and, and target and pitch my content and do PR and have a lot of success. Is there any ideal client profile that doesn't get influenced by, you know, direct authority borrowing and, you know, learning and, and, and influencer marketing, right? I mean, that's natural sort of human instinct is to learn and, and to take and to have transference of authority from someone you trust. I mean, that's, you know, very normal human response, I thought. I would say there are plenty of fields where SparkToro is much more helpful or the, the whole idea right. of marketing through your audience's sources of influence is much more right. helpful and then a bunch where it's less helpful. So right. for example, if you are a real estate agent and you are trying to get home buyers or potential home buyers in an area to go to you, I would say it is probably on the more challenging end of the spectrum makes sense. to get, to reach them through their sources of influence. Like, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe the Seattle Times or whatever the local newspaper is, if you pitch yep. them the right story, like they might cover you, you could advertise in those places, but it's pretty expensive. And the, and the ratio of like people you're reaching to people who actually need you is, is pretty low. You, you might be better off going direct to whatever, a Zillow or a, to Google's, you know, local rankings. Because the, the audience is to, too broad, right? Yeah, the audience being... is super broad. And on the, on the flip side, right, if you are selling, you know, real estate management software to professional real estate agents or, you know, you're selling them intelligence, going to their sources of influence, like the real estate conferences and the, the websites they all pay attention to and the social accounts that all the real estate agents follow, like the whatever the chief economist at Redfin recommends your software, you know, that that's going to blow yeah. up your, your ability to reach your audience and, and you're going to be in a very happy I'd place. Say. So yeah, it, there's a spectrum. For sure. I mean, I imagine that there's lots of data and what I would say that most people tend to, to do, right? So let's say that someone were to be looking, whatever their ideal client is, let's say that it's, you know, doctors and they're looking at, and there's specifically, you know, family practitioner doctors and solo practitioners, right? Is what they're looking for. 
And the mass, the vast majority of people typically would probably go to like, hey, this is the resource that they go to most. What would your suggestion be on like where they should be paying attention? Should they be going sort of middle of the spectrum? Should they be going to the most visited sites, the most visited podcasts? Like what would you type? What would your suggestion be on how to utilize the information coming from Sparktoro? Yeah, that's uh, that's a great one. So my general bias is to go after the small and medium folks first, especially if your brand is not already big and powerful in the space. Uh-huh. So, you know, if you're a relatively new entrant, it's going to be much easier to pitch the, you know, small and medium publications and the, the you know, micro niche newsletters. And sure, maybe it's only 5,000 general practitioners in the U.S. who subscribe to this particular, I don't know, doctor's substack. But, you know, if you can get featured there, that can start to build your reputation. And then you can get an intro to the next person. And now you can, you know, build up your authority. And maybe in a couple of years, yes, WebMD will feature you, right? Or, you know, whatever the the, the big sure. publication for family practitioners. But it's it's tough to go direct to... For example, a lot of the time, you know, maybe it's the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, right, is very well read by a particular, hey, would I pitch NYT Health? No, I'd probably go after, right, like the, whatever, the Cleveland Registers, you know, your local source of yeah. influence that is also reaching a lot of health professionals. That That's probably where you want to start, and then you build your way up. So I like starting small. I actually love starting with podcasts, YouTube channels, small website publishers, smaller email newsletters, and sort of social accounts that are well-followed, especially like Twitter and LinkedIn in in B2B world Mm -hmm. or in professional spaces like like doctors, as opposed to big publications. It's not that PR doesn't work. Like PR is awesome. I just think niche PR is high success rate and often a great way to build your reputation and get your message out there before those big publications will cover you. And the big publications often pay attention to the little ones. Mm -hmm. So if lots of people in a space start talking about you, you can then kind of leverage that into, you know, the bigger audiences of the bigger publications. I mean, media loves media, right? Essentially is what you're suggesting is that the more media coverage you have, the more media coverage that you will get, right? So, yeah, it's, I mean, uh, it's an incestuous little world, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> 100%. I also think, realistically speaking, is that people try to go after these large number of viewers and eyes on their service and on their product. And realistically speaking, you don't need it. So, you're talking about, you know, 5,000, not just off the cuff, you pulled 5,000, but that's a significant database. If you're able to hit 1% of that, you still have made quite a significant dent in lead generation and being able to have a good prospecting list for you to go to. So, that's a great size number of people to talk to. And you still don't even have to start quite that large. You know, even if you're at 500, even 1% of that is still significant, right? 2% of that is still significant. So it's it's recognizing how can you actually more effectively use your time, your marketing time and marketing dollars to actually hit your audience. Yeah, completely. And I would say it's, it's fully dependent on who you are, right? If your client, for example, is a relatively large business with you know, tens or hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue and and tons of clients. Yeah, it's going to be tough to like move mm-hmm. the needle by hitting up publications or, you know, folks who have an audience of a few hundred or a few thousand people. Yep. However, if you are helping customers in the 
you know, single digit millions in revenue, if you're helping new businesses and early stage entrants, challenger brands, it can be pretty powerful. And the other thing I would say is sometimes you want to take a chance, even if you're a big brand, on some of the smaller sources of influence, especially if they are growing rapidly. So this person who maybe has uh, 500 listeners, 500 downloads of their podcast per episode, 500 subscribers to their email newsletter, are they going to have 5,000 this time next year? Are they going to have 50,000 in two years? If so, it probably pays to build a relationship with them now before Early any of your competition does. That right. And to be sense. sort of like, hey, we're sponsoring this incredibly well growing newsletter, podcast, email, a publication, Substack, social account, whatever it is. Working yep. with those kinds of people can be transformative. And this is one of the things that I like doing a lot is IDing someone who is perhaps new to the space, but clearly building an audience rapidly. Yeah. I mean, I think that's super helpful. And I mean, you definitely have massively piqued my interest and will 100% be tracking Alex Park Toro. Thanks cool. so much for joining me today, Rand, on the episode. And for everyone listening, SparkToro, you can go directly to sparktoro.com and create a free account. And you can start to identify where your audience spends their time, pays attention, so that your marketing efforts can be better targeted and more effective. Exactly. Robert, thank you so much for having me. Once again, thank you so much for carving out the time to hear what was shared on today's podcast. Now, chances are, if you're an agency owner listening to this podcast right now, then you may be feeling like this. Because I was finding myself constantly overworked within our business, um, constantly like too busy with fulfillment or too busy with uh, customer service needs. So I didn't have the time to go think about how am I going to close this person or what am I going to say to this person or what am I going to do with this or what's the next strategy I need to do. Now, of course, this podcast is here to help you with a lot of things. But at one episode per week, it's going to take a while for us to share everything you need specifically for your situation. So if you're really serious about committing to fixing the problems in your agency now so you can build a truly profitable business and get your life back, then I want to invite you to apply for the Agency Accelerator program. I'm not so stressed during calls thinking, oh my gosh, I got, I got to sell, I got to sell, I got to sell because if I don't sell, I don't make our I don't make our numbers, you know, and if I don't make our numbers, I can't pay our people. If I can't pay our people, then our business is down. This program is designed to help creative agency owners get to 1 million in revenue per year in 12 months or less. I char typically charge one client at $3,000, anywhere from 2,000 to 3,000. Now I'm uh, moving towards only 5,000 and up. And my latest client that I closed is a $10,000 client on a monthly retainer. We only accept about 20% of the agencies that apply to this program because we want to make sure that we only work with people who will commit the time, energy, and resources required to take what they learn in the program and use it to create an agency of their dreams. You've taught me and you've taught us how to build this within our company that if X happens, this happens, boom, 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 boom. Like it's so systematic that it's going to work for itself. That has given me the sense of like, oh, I know what the heck I'm talking about. I know what I'm good at. I know that I can deliver upon what I want to deliver. And it, yeah, I gained hell of a lot of confidence for sure. So if that's you, then I want to invite you to apply today. Just hit the link in the show notes to apply for the Agency Accelerator program or go to creativeagencysuccess.com forward slash apply. Thanks, and I'll see you inside the program. Mm -hmm.